0: Thank you, and you can turn to your Bibles to page 1007, 1008 if it's the Pew Bible, Uh, but we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3 and 23 through 28. And uh, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to Peter for a kind introduction. Thank you for having me, and it's always a pleasure to uh, worship with brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the faith um, as we um, come together every Sunday to honor the same God. Um, uh, I'm I'm over in Mount Pleasant, but we all honor the same God. We all worship the same God. And we're all so grateful to that God for his son, Jesus Christ. And so thank y'all for letting me be a part of this this morning. Uh, And before we read um, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, just to give you a little more of a background before we read God's word together, Uh, in general, the book of Hebrews for us and for the, um, those who it's being written to. It's, it's to a people that are being tempted to turn away from Jesus. Uh, people that are being tempted to quit following Jesus in all of their lives and turning back to family customs, religious customs, cultural customs, and pressures. Um, something we can hopefully and we probably relate to. And then particularly as you look at the book and you look at chapter 11, chapter 11 is this barrage this repeated just punch after punch of faith stories to remind you that you need ongoing encouragement. These faith stories help us to hold fast. And, uh, hopefully they will encourage us today to continue to follow Jesus with all of ourselves and all of our lives. Um, but it will hopefully be something that as, uh, for some of us who are parents, what I love about, um, This And we'll get to it in a minute. Well, let's read first. So if you could, would you mind standing with me as we read um, read God's Word together? We're going to read Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump ahead to 23 through 28, the story of Moses and how it can encourage us. This is God's Word. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And if you want to turn with me to page 1008, if you got it. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter This is God's word. You may be seated. I think regardless of some of the political trappings this year that may have been a part of the Women's World Cup, if you've watched soccer, I was late coming to soccer, probably not until my senior year of high school did I play in my first soccer game since I was a four-year-old. But... The Women's World Cup always reminds me of something incredible and beautiful and glorious, whether it's the Men's World Cup, Women's World Cup, or the Olympics. It's, um, a pastor once told me that it's this kind of glimpse into the kingdom of God one day. It's this glimpse where all these countries come together, and you see them all. Now, granted, soccer, football can become an idol. But it's a reminder that every tribe, tongue, and nation will one day gather and bow down and worship King Jesus. And it's um, it's just, to me, a, 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 it's something that grabs me and reminds me of just how beautiful one day, when we think about all things being made new, what it will be like. And kind of similarly in Hebrews chapter 12, which we're not going to go too deep into, um, it helps us understand chapter 11 and why we get all these faith stories throughout chapter 11 and when we when we're talking about Noah or Moses or Abraham, whether, whoever it may be in chapter 11 in chapter 12 if you jump down it says this therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith and so what you have is in chapter 12 is this visual of Christians running the race. And there is this not just, oh, we, we know Christians around us, we're encouraged by one another. But that chapter 11 now takes a different form. And that sitting in the stands as we run the race in a, in a stadium much like the World Cup or um, the Olympics, we're running the race and the saints of the past are cheering us on. Encouraging us as we run, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so we can understand that chapter 11 is just people who have followed the Lord faithfully over and over and over again. Cheering you on, saying to you, I believe that we will win. I believe. Except it's not belief. It's truth. It's something we know for certain. And so when we when we hear this story of Moses, Moses is cheering you on by his life of faith to hold fast to Christ. And yet we live in a world where we understand that there are so many other things that we trust and place our faith in, other than the Lord Jesus. And so I'm going to confess something to you. I am not a poet. Um, but if you know John Piper, John Piper often writes poetry. He's a uh, Baptist um, pastor who's retired now, a uh, well-known speaker, um, uh, just a, a man who's faithfully followed the Lord and just done great things in many ways. Um, but he often writes poetry, and so I did. And so uh, this may, this isn't as strange for y'all, but it, was strange, it would be strange for my congregation and, and to know me. Um, but I, I thought it is appropriate for this passage, and not just this passage, but all of chapter 11. Um, as we think about so if you would um, endure for a moment with my poetry skills. It's called, I Live by Faith. Faith in my grades, faith in my popularity, faith in my likability, faith in my athletic skills, faith in my social skills, faith in my attractiveness, faith in my beauty, or my handsomeness, faith in how rugged I am, faith in my good behavior, faith in my salary, faith in my 401K in retirement, faith in which college I went to, faith in my hard work, faith in my political party, faith in my marriage, faith in my children, faith in my intelligence, faith in my entrepreneurship, faith in my family name, faith in my own reputation. Faith in my business, faith in my endeavors for happiness, faith in the things I can touch, see, and smell. I am living by faith. Am I living by faith? And the reason why I wrote this is because when I I thought about what a life of faith looks like, what we end up placing our faith in other than the Lord Jesus, it's all these things that we think this will do it. And I want to ask, is this how we live? Do we practically live this way? We live in a world not where the saints of the past are cheering us on. We live in a world where the world cheers for you to trust in anything other than Jesus. And yet the author of Hebrews is trying to overwhelm us in chapter 11 with story after story of God's people who are people of faith so that God's people wouldn't turn to apostasy so that they would not reject the Lord Jesus. And for us, we face this temptation to passively and intentionally turn away from God. And when you think about all these stories, uh, here's one thing for parents and for all of us that maybe have sat through a lot of VBSs. um, Chapter 11 is one of those things that reminds us that all the stories that we hear all the stories you're telling your children, all the stories that you're reading in the Old Testament, when you're, maybe your children can rattle off the story of Noah, the story of King David, um, Abraham, uh, Moses, the Ten Commandments, these things. It can, it can be something that you use to encourage and teach them even and say, remember these stories that you know, the kind of the memorable and, and easier ones to remember, those are stories of faith to encourage you even now. They aren't just good moral lessons. They're lessons that teach you what it means to follow the God of the universe. And so, the story of Moses tells us a story of faith. Faith in God, and a faith that is for the Hebrews that this is being written to, this book is being written to. But it's also a faith for you and for me. It's a faith for us. And so, what kind of faith? What do we see here first? We see a faith That provides a great preservation in Moses and his family. Ultimately, God preserves and does the work he does for his glory, for himself, for his own purposes. But he provides a kind of preservation for Moses and his family. He knew God in Exodus 2, chapter 24. God heard God's people groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and he knew And what we need to remember is that from the very beginning, before Moses was even able to talk, before he was born, is that Moses' life was marked by faith, first and foremost. In verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now listen, Moses had... Moses' family had to trust God that God would protect Moses. And they saw that he was beautiful, that he was special, and, and the king's edict had pronounced that they would that they must throw out all the men, the firstborn Baal babies. And um, this evil and vile law, right? But in the midst of it, they saw, and, there, and there's a lot to say about what the um, what the commentators speak about it. And there's no, exact, there's no exact way to know exactly what they saw in Moses. But all they know is that they saw because God's spirit was on them. Because they were trusting in him. They were by faith trusting in the God of Israel. And they risked. They risked keeping Moses. And they, they hid him for three months. And yet, in hiding, they also practiced a sort of wisdom. Because they didn't just parade the baby around. They trusted that... Um, that God would protect the baby and they were not afraid of the consequences to themselves um, in, in their own lives if they were discovered and so by faith they trusted that God would provide for them and so, so how, how would this life, um, how would this be a great preservation and as I look around and I see a couple of babies even sitting in this room um, uh, babies never cry right? They never cry they weren't, they, they, they're always perfectly quiet. They're always, um, Peter just had a baby, so he knows they're perfectly quiet all the time. Um, they weren't just diligent in keeping, um, keeping him quiet. They were had to be diligent about, fed, cared for, so that they, for three months, would not draw any attention to themselves. And so they defied Pharaoh and chose to obey God. By faith, they chose to follow God first. And then they saw in an incredible and an ironic way, not only that he was kept alive, preserved, and they trusted what God was doing, but he was brought into Pharaoh's house. And in the story of Moses' life, Moses' own mother becomes his nursemaid. What an incredible, incredible life of faith. But what an incredible, and incredible God who blesses them, who gives them this Preservation and it wasn't just because Moses' mother and father were perfect people, but it was because they saw God as the faithful one. They saw God as the faithful one, the trust they trusted him with the life, their lives, and the life of their child. Do you see God as faithful? Do you see God as faithful? In the minute details of your life? Do you see God as faithful in the large things, the big things, the life things that can shatter us? Do you see Him as the one who can sustain and keep us? Or do you believe in your grades, your popularity, your retirement, your political party, your marriage, your children, your business, your reputation, your happiness? Are, the, are those the kind of things that you trust in? I, I, I'd be the first to admit that I struggle with trusting in other things at times. I'm not the, you know, pinnacle of holiness. I, I look at these things often and I worry and I tr- throw them before God in prayer thing. help me. And do we, do we, do we and I have to turn to 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, um, when it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. God is faithful. And this is what we're fighting against, seeing God as unfaithful. And yet he is. See, remember, we we looked at Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. We may not see how God is at work in our lives. We may not see all the details that how, it's not playing out how we want it to go. And yet one of the incredible aspects of following Christ, of being a Christian is that when you are in Christ that he will allow you and encourage you and hold you up to persevere. In fact, we have a whole theology of the perseverance of the saints reminding us that he who began a good work in you he will bring it to completion. He's not just your God at the time of your salvation. He's the God over all your life. And he is continually, consistently present. And so we need to remember that, that God preserves those who belong to him. And so as we look um, at this story of Moses, is Moses' life here in Hebrews, um, We need to see Moses understanding and responding and living in his greater identity. And that by faith, he trusted in his greater identity in the God of the universe. So let's read verses 24 through 27 again real quick. It says this, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So let's break this down for a moment. By faith, Moses rejected his status as part of Pharaoh's family. And he had been given the opportunity to do so much by worldly standards, wealth, power, um, whether it was uh, physical or sensual, whatever it may be, he had these opportunities. And yet Moses, trusting in the God of the universe, rejects being a part of Pharaoh's house and Pharaoh's family. Let's think about it like this. First, he rejects his royalty, Money, riches, wealth, status, power, pleasure. Everything that Pharaoh's house had to offer, he rejected it. And instead chose to align himself with God's people. He humbled himself from a place of kind of worldly power to a place amongst God's people. He also rejects the pleasures of sin. He chose mistreatment to be counted um, with God's people instead of being counted with Pharaoh's house. Everything the palace had to offer. And he considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth. And this may seem out of place maybe where Moses might not be thinking about the Christ, but we need to be reminded of Deuteronomy 18 where he mentions a prophet like Moses coming and in many ways, the writer is helping us to connect the dots in the minds of these Hebrews who are receiving this letter, these readers, and they're saying, and, and now to us, and point out the connection between the suffering of Christ and the connection to the suffering of God's people. And so, why did Moses, why would Moses, by faith, choose these losses? Because by faith, he chose that, that greater identity as being a member of God's people. More than anything the world has to offer, we want and desire to be counted amongst God's God's people. And, And today, it's not just signing a card or going through a membership class or joining a club. It is belonging to the very God over all things. Moses chose his identity because he endured and he had a vision. His eyes were fixed on something bigger than Pharaoh's house. He looked to his reward, and his reward wasn't just, oh, I'm going to get to lead God's people, that's not reward. His reward was God himself. He was counted amongst God's people, but he also received the very God of the universe, relationship with the God of the universe. And uh, as a good Presbyterian, more than anything, God, Moses is making a deeply theological statement here. See, he refused his status as an Egyptian prince, and therefore he's rejecting the divinity that is attributed to Pharaoh. And it could possibly be attributed to him. And instead of saying, yeah, I'm God, he says, no, I'm going to serve the true God. He understands his identity as it relates To the very God of the universe. And he rejects the fleeting pleasure of sin. And not just the the sin that we associate with luxurious royal lifestyle that we've already mentioned. But but again, a theological statement. Because if he were a part of Pharaoh's house and he rejected God's people, he would be uh, an apostate. Being a part of Pharaoh's house is apostasy. So being with the people of God... Even when it means suffering and hardship and difficulty. That's where you want to be. That's where I want to be. He understands his identity. And he, he understands that he is not God. This spiritual decision he's making its not ethnic. It's not nationalistic. It's not about being a part of God's people. These are the people I should be with when it's rooted in. In a vision for God Himself, knowing who God is, and He He shows to us, shows to me that by faith He's embracing His greater identity as one who belongs to our God. And so, Moses, counting all these losses, we see that following our God is costly in a worldly sense, and so. Um, some of you, uh, I'm a I'm a '90s kid. I was born in the '80s, so I. I, I but I'm, I, I guess most of my memory starts in like 1989, roughly. But if you're familiar with um, uh, the man Rick Moranis, he was a uh, comedian, writer, um, Canadian performer. He was in Ghostbusters and uh, uh, in the '80s. And I could just read his Wikipedia page for you. Uh, but he. Um, He was uh, in, uh, I'm trying to think, Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was what I really remember him from being a 90s kid. It's a Disney movie from back in the day, a long time ago. Um, And much like everything Disney's doing, they're remaking it, so it's probably not going to be as good. But um, Rick Moranis was pretty famous and made a lot of money as a writer in Hollywood and a performer. And in 1991, um, his wife died um, because of breast cancer and um, I read an article about him and so I just want to read a couple quotes from him real quick and it's about understanding a greater identity and and the reason why I read it is because I want us I want myself to understand my greater identity in Christ I, I want that to be the thing that defines me more than anything else and so Rick Moranis wealthy, millionaire Hollywood guy he could hire a nanny when his wife died He could um, keep doing work and spend less time with his his children if he wanted to. He could um, figure out a way to pay for some way to keep up his lifestyle in Los Angeles. And here's what he says. I was working with really interesting people, wonderful people, he said. I went from that to being at home with a couple of little kids, which is a very different lifestyle, but it was important to me. He added, I have absolutely no regrets whatsoever. My life is wonderful. And we can make the argument that because he's a millionaire and he's probably reinvesting in it, of course, his life is wonderful. But what he spoke to me when I read this article was that his identity as a father was far more important than any identity he had as a writer, as a comedian, as a performer. And he was willing to lose all those things For the sake of being a father to his children. And I thought that was an incredibly powerful way for us to understand this passage. Particularly Moses' identity. It is worth it to lose for the sake of gaining Christ. Paul tells us this in Philippians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. Indeed I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. David Platt, another well-known Baptist minister of a very large congregation in, I think, the D.C. area, he says, suffering can become a gift when treasuring Christ above all else. And so this it can be incredibly negative. It can say, well, you're going to lose a lot. You're going to be uh, looked down upon. You're gonna, it's it's uh, a life of, of just terrible, terrible things. If we go down this path just over and over and over again, and I, 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 it, there can be great loss. There is great loss in following Christ. But there's an incredible gain, and this is maybe my favorite thing to talk about in the Christian life, is your identity in Christ. And it took me a while, even after being a Christian for a long time, for that like snap light bulb come on about who I belong to and who I am. The scriptures tell us this, there's still this tension as sinners, but that also... If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, he gave you the right to become sons and daughters. If you are in Christ, you are a royal priesthood. If you are in Christ, you are of his saints. You are God's temple and his spirit dwells in you. And all these things that I wrote about, this poetry, um, all those things are worth losing for the sake of knowing Jesus above all else. So how can we know Jesus above all else? We have to trust in a salvation that's even greater. And we, like Moses, we need to look to a greater salvation. See, God's people identified with God, and by faith, they chose to apply the blood to their doors. Here in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, verses 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood So that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And as we know the story of Moses and the Passover and the plagues, um, we know that this is the final straw that broke Pharaoh. And these people, they chose individually, personally. They received the kind of salvation that can only be given by God. And it would have seemed pretty strange. They trusted something that was beyond, beyond comprehension um, killing a lamb and sprinkling its blood. If you would, you'd ask, like, what is it going to take to change our status from slaves to a people? Uh, wouldn't it be a revolt or a war or something? And, and God, in his own way, says, trust in this salvation. And so, as we look at this passage and um, the Hebrew people are receiving this letter, um, they're getting... From, uh, from the writer, this picture of the Passover lamb, right? And that God's people were saved by the blood of the lamb. But as they think about the, the greater book of Hebrews, as they look at all of it, the writer has plainly laid out for them in chapter 10, Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice, the blood of Jesus that saves, that Jesus' sacrifice cleanses us from our sins, And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 5-7 that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so it's by faith, Moses, God's people, trust in a salvation greater than themselves. Are you enjoying that kind of security? The once for all sacrifice that only the blood of Jesus can give. See, only apart from understanding and placing your faith and trust in Christ, we we can't save ourselves. Though the world would tell us that we can save ourselves and look good by how good our grades are, how good our work is, how beautiful we are, how how good we are at business, um, how well-behaved our family is. Um, The world tells us that those are the things that will save you. Just look good, do good things, be nice. And yet, it's something more than that. Apart from Christ, we can't have an identity that saves. The identity we receive can only be enjoyed when we, by faith, trust Christ more than anything else. The preservation or the perseverance of saints comes to those who belong to him. Salvation, salvation found only in Jesus, restores our identity. It brings us to God. It makes us more and more what we were created to be. It is in essence becoming more human than ever before when we trust in Christ. The things that I trust in Right? This little poem I wrote was, was really just a letter to myself more than anything as I wrestled with this text. And as we close, as we finish uh, this morning, I, I want to point out something from the scriptures from the book of Acts. Something better than I could ever write as a poem, something anyone, hopefully better than anyone can remember. And this is what I want us to finish with. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word. I am so grateful for your word. I am a mess apart from your son, apart from your Holy Spirit at work in my life. I pray that we would leave this place more in love, more in love with you, more in love with Jesus with the salvation that you have provided to us, not something we could manufacture or make or happen. Lord, you have done it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember that. Help us to be people who carry that salvation into the world, that we would be people who point others to Christ, that our faith is not in ourselves or institutions, but our faith is in the living God. And so Lord, we thank you for all these things and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.